Thank you, Pastor Matt, and leading us in some singing as we continue to worship God. Let us open up our Bibles, and, and we'll be in Malachi chapter 1 uh, this morning. So if you have the Bibles, uh, have your Bibles. Please open them to Malachi chapter 1 as we just reflect upon God's amazing grace to his people. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity we have to open up your word together. And Lord, I just pray that indeed you're go- you are glorified. There's no possible way that I can make this turn out well, Lord. So I pray that by your spirit, that you would give me the strength and the appropriate affections that are needed to, to declare your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this time, that you would use your word to, to encourage your people, to, to call people to yourself, and to bring joy to your people. And amen. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, the word of the Lord says this. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have I loved you? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. As I was reflecting upon this, we need to remember and understand the context by which Malachi is speaking this oracle to his people. The people are on hard times. Things are not going the way that they expected. And as I was reflecting upon this, I was reminded very quickly that life life is hard. And together with a a soul-numbing monotony of the daily grind and the normal experiences of life's disappointments to the acute suffering that comes with broken health or, or broken relationships or broken spirits and just sometimes the overwhelmingness of life itself. I was reminded of this even as I reflected upon something that I've shared with you before, that when I was a youth pastor, a youth suddenly died, and I can remember the look on their parents' face and and even the grandmother as they walked through this process of one day they had a child and the next day they had no child. I couldn't imagine, I can't even imagine the pain that they were walking through. And perhaps you're going through a divorce or battling loneliness or abandonment or or experiencing profound physical or or emotional distress uh, for which there really is no cure at all or a deep spiritual turmoil from which there seems no way out. It is natural during those hard times to become hardened to God and to others in response. So how can I know that God really loves me? 
when everything around me is falling apart, when it's not what I was praying or hoping for, how do I know that God loves me? And in Malachi, the people or God are struggling with the very same question. How, God, do you love me? I hear you saying I love you, but how have you shown it to me these days? As they have taken, as they have returned from exile, they are not convinced of one thing. They are not convinced that God actually loves them. But here in verse 1, God, the sovereign God, speaks to his chosen. He says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This is an oracle. This is a burden. This is important to hear. It tells us more than just information about who was writing this and who it was to. But this is the word of the Lord and it is important. This is a, a word that is powerfully proclaimed by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the word declared by the God who spoke everything into being, who called Israel out of Egypt, who chose Abraham and set him apart to be a people for himself. This is the word that is effective in history-shaping events according to his own will. This is going to be important. So in verses 2 to 4, we see that God sovereignly loves those he has chosen. And in verse 2, it opens off, right off the bat, it says, I have loved you. Let's just sink in that for a minute. Let's just think about that. Let, like, let it dwell upon it. The Lord that we are introduced to in verse 1, it's the one that says to his people, I have loved you. These are God's first words to his people. He doesn't come out and begin to talk about how, uh, he doesn't begin to address all of their sins, and he will do that later on in this, in this oracle. But he begins by first addressing this magnificent truth to his people. He declares his love to them. See, love, this word love is a deep, affection it is loyalty we see this we see this word used for for marriages between a husband and a wife we see this in this word used for a relationship between a child and a parent we see this word used in close relationships like we see in the bible with david and jonathan this is an important word that means a deep affection and loyalty and god comes and he says i have loved you it shows God's promise of love to his people. And God loved them and he had chosen, just like we see in Deuteronomy 4, verse 37, where he reminds Israel that he has chosen their fathers and, and them and brought them out of Egypt with his own presence and with his own power. See, what type of love is this? This is a sovereign love. This is an unconditional love. The only reason it even exists is because God is loving and faithful. That is the only reason. And when we read the word loved, we've got to think of God's total and complete act of love. 
Take time this week to read this very short, uh, short oracle, short prophecy, short book. Over and over again, God exposes the people's sin, but at the beginning, God declares his unchanging and enduring love for his people. But in verse 2, the people of God again push back at God's declaration of how he has loved them. He said, they come back in verse 2 and they say, But you say, God says, How have you loved us? See, the people want evidence of what God has just said. And Malachi's audience sees no visible evidence at all of, of God's love for them. They feel entirely unloved. Do you feel like that this morning? Have you cried your tears this morning or this week? Are you feeling entirely unloved? God God just doesn't leave Israel there with these words that can feel empty. He begins to answer the how as he moves on to addressing that question. Malachi begins to expose their darkest suspicions about God to subvert those doubts. See, in verses, at the end of verse 2 to 3, it says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Their, their initial condition of these two men are the same. They are brothers. They were twins. But the Lord set his love on Jacob and not Esau. For no reason intrinsic to themselves. Because this love was unmerited. It is unchanging. God chose to pour it upon Jacob. Not because of something he was or is. Because, but because God simply chose. This is a covenantal type of love. What's amazing is Israel's response to this, right? So God says, I have loved you. But then Israel comes along and says, well, how have you done it? Now imagine this. As a husband, uh, if I go out to my wife, Steph, and I say, hey, Steph, you know, I love you. My expectation would be her to say, I love you too. Now, if I come up to her one day and I say, hey, Steph, I love you. And she responds with this, well, how have you loved me? I know that I'm in a lot of trouble at that moment of time. God's people doubted God's love. It was their immediate response to God's words of, I have loved you. Think of the past amazing things that God has done for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them the promised land. He gave them kings like David and Solomon and great prosperity. Right now, though, those days are gone. There's been a slide into insignificance and powerlessness under the scorching heats of everyday hardships and, and failed expectations. Joy in God's love had quickly withered. And wasn't life supposed to be better than this? But then God comes along and he says this about Esau. He says, I have hated Esau. Jacob I have loved. Esau I've hated. There's a settled and unchanging opposition. God's people didn't see God's love. There's plenty of evidence of God's hatred to Edom, though. 
God wants Israel to look at their situation through the lens of these two brothers. With Jacob, there's covenantal love. God was devotedly committed to Jacob. With a covenantal hatred, there is an absence, though, of, an uncom- of any commitment or relationship to Esau. But how could God hate someone? You know, some of you are maybe having a hard time with using this language of God hating somebody. But when you think about it in a way that God is obligated to love everyone equally, that is when we begin to struggle with this. So let me ask you this question. Do you expect human beings to love everyone in the same way? I would hope not. No, not every husband loves every other wife out there equally. A husband loves his own wife in a special way, just like a parent loves their own children in a special way. In the same way, God binds himself specifically to his people, not equally to everybody. So let me ask you again. Do you feel like what Israel feels this morning? Have you cried your tears? Are you feeling entirely unloved? Don't you dare lie to me. You know, even I have felt like this in the past. I can read these words and cry out in times and say, How, God, have you loved me? We might not actually say to God out loud, but I know that we have felt that way in our deepest beings. How have you loved us? But we don't find God's love very exciting anymore. The good news of Jesus' death for our sins and our place and and the resurrection to a new life, realities that may once have thrilled our hearts and gave us so much excitement, are no longer there. God, do you really love me? Really? Do you really love me? Have Have you seen my life? Have you seen my my family, my finances, my diagnosis? Have you seen my life? Wasn't it supposed to be better than this? How have you loved me? See, God exposes our darkest suspicions about him to subvert those doubts. He points us to the cross. See, there's this thought out there called prosperity gospel which means come to Jesus and God will give you all of these things but when we come to Jesus truthfully and honestly he gives us himself his very presence that's what praises us if our idea of who God is is based upon the things that he gives us rather than himself then everything becomes shattered But God comes and he gives us himself. We look to the cross. We see how God takes sin seriously. The cross shows us the perfect wrath that God has and his perfect love. When I look to the cross, I see how bad my sin is. I see what was due to me because of my sin. But I see God's love as he pours out his wrath upon his own son rather unto me. So that if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will have eternal life. For anyone who rests in what God has done for them will have eternal life. So the question 
is really, will you accept the free gift of grace from the only true and holy God? God shows us the extent by which he loves us when we look to the cross. When I look back at these two brothers, at Jacob and Esau, the fact is that God should, cho- should have not chosen to love either of them. Both of them were an incredible mess. Jacob was a spoiled little brat. Esau was an impulsive man who had no control of himself. Yet God comes along and he chooses one. None of them deserve his favor. I love, I love the gospel. You can take everything from me, but give me Jesus. God declares to all who are his, I have loved you. And when you doubt it, open up his word and come face to face with the reality of who God is and what he has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. It was his will that his son was crushed for my iniquities. Don't take your eyes off the cross. God has shown you how much he loves you. When he chose you and took you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought him into his marvelous kingdom of light. When he took you from an object of wrath to a son or daughter. God indeed loves you. And when we, when we reflect upon that in the midst of hardships, it changes our perception. Both of these men were a mess. But God comes and he chooses one. See, God didn't sit back and wait for their lives to unfold and then pick the less bad brother of them all to receive the family blessing. Rather, we see that in the the womb, God chooses one of the twins. God declared that Esau, the older brother, would serve Jacob, the younger. And even as Paul writes in Romans 9, verse 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, not because of works, but because of him who calls. But then you come to me and you might say, well, pastor, that's kind of unfair. How could God choose one over the other? And I'll tell you this, is that fair is an anti-gospel. Fair is not only, fair is that only those who live righteously can get the reward, but those who at any point walk off the path pay the price. The deserving are the ones who get the blessing. The undeserving are the ones who are punished. In the case of Jacob and Esau, fair would have been God saying, you are both undeserving. I reject you both. But the theme of election that runs like a golden thread throughout the Bible is of God's goodness and grace repeatedly overruling fairness. I bask in the wonder and I ask, why God did you choose me? But when I think about that and I dwell upon the cross, I do see that God indeed loves me. Even in verse 4, it says, the Edom will continue to try to rebuild. 
But God will declare them a wicked country, which means that God will seal them in their own sin. So public, so, so that it's so public and so obvious that everybody around them will not wonder why God judged them. What an amazing truth. God sovereignly chose those whom he loves, not because of anything they have done, but because he has. As God's people begin to reflect on the love that God has for them, there will be an outpouring of worship. As we see in verse 5, those chosen will declare the sovereign God's greatness. This is a simple but very important verse that we need to reflect upon. Don't read over it too quickly because it says, Your eyes shall see this. You shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Your eyes shall see this, it says. There's no longer a, a, a skeptical, uh, they're no longer skeptical of God's love. There is a great reversal that happens. No longer they in doubt that indeed God loves them. They, they've reflected upon how God has continuously been faithful and loyal to them, even in the midst of their own sin, that God for some reason chose them. And as they reflect upon that, things begin to change. They aren't talking about themselves anymore. They are talking about the greatness of God. And when they speak of God's greatness, they are showing the greatness of God as he works out his justice in all the earth. And it sees that God's greatness is, goes, as it says, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God's greatness will be known beyond, literally above. The Lord's greatness is, is centered within these borders of his covenant people, but is not limited there. there. This is how God executes his love for his deeply discouraged and wrong people. He works out justice and earth to his great glory. For Israel, God showed them that he loved them, and, and he gives them evidence for that love, as they saw that evidence unfold in the nations around them and how God would God dealt with those nations, they began to praise God because they again remembered that God is a covenant-keeping God who faithfully, unchangingly loves them. For God's people, for the church, when we look at what Christ has done for us, he, he brings us to praise. It, it may be still through tears, but the cross shows us the love of God for those he has chosen as he pours out his wrath upon his own son and not me. So what, you may ask? When I read this book, it can be difficult. God will confront his people because of their sin that is in their lives. But before he confronts them with their sin, he confronts them with the gospel of his love. It's possible to forget or not feel like you are being loved deeply by God. In Malachi's days, Edom looked like it was rebounding, like it was taking advantage of Israel's suffering. But God made this promise of how he was going to deal with Edom. God's love will be seen in part by how he does deal with Edom. 
And Judah's skepticism will be a kind of self-forgetfulness as they are caught up in worship of a God who through his love and judgment demonstrates his greatness to all the world. The big point is this, even in hardships of life, God shows his sovereign love to those he has chosen through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is possible for you and for me as individuals or a church or God's people in a particular place or time to be convinced that God doesn't love us. But in that conviction, it will lead us to not caring about how we worship our God, as we will see later in Malachi. You know, this is especially likely to happen when God's people have suffered and God apparently does nothing about it. Malachi's words echo beyond their original context to assure us that very soon God's love and commitment to us will be visibly evident in the context as wide as creation. It is especially urgent for us new covenant believers to hear this assurance of God's love and of his commitment to exalt himself by working out justice since we live in the shadow of the cross where God displays his perfect love, his, his, his perfect love and his perfect justice pouring out on his son the wrath that I and you deserve. But at the same time, this initial promise of the full outworking of God's love gives Malachi's warnings a weight they might not otherwise have had. We who have benefited so much and will benefit so much more from God's determination to exalt himself on the earth we cannot refuse, we dare not refuse the one who is speaking to us. So as I reflect upon this short passage, even in the hardships of life, God shows his sovereign love to those he has chosen through the cross of Jesus Christ. Does this not also push us out to declare who God is? to a broken world. Because in our brokenness, we can still declare the goodness of our God. That even though everything may feel like it's been taken away, I can still declare that God loves me. And it might be through tears. It might be through the most broken feelings. But God shows us over and over and over again in his word, how he loves. So today, so today he declares to his people who, who he has chosen, I have loved you. And when you doubt that, when you don't feel like he's loving you, look to the cross. Look at what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you through the opening of your word. God, I do pray indeed that you have been glorified. And as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that we would magnify your name, that we would reflect upon what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And amen.